welcome to Dead House. I'm Dylan. I am Nathan. And today we are recording our 10th episode. Good lord already. We've hit double digits. It's been, I think, what, like, I don't know, two months by the time this drops? Give or take? Well, once a week. Missing a week. Sure. And then we had two drop in the first. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. Ten. Congratulations. Anyway, we've hit, ten. We've hit ten. One zero. <laughs> Big ups to us. <laughs> How are you, man? I'm all right. A little, little tired today. Our voice is a bit drawn out, but okay. but cold. Very Haven't cold. had your tea, but you've had a, some water and some iced coffee. Pull you through. Yeah. Sometimes I have a honey tea before mm. before recording some of these, just to sort of soothe my throat. Yeah. But I just went straight for the raw double shot iced mocha. The raw. The raw. Yeah. <laughs> just caffeine into the veins <laughs> with an IV. Just send it. Well, it's not going to help my throat, but it'll help me wake up. Yeah, well, I'm coming off the back of a bit of a sinus infection, so I sound kind of clogged and nasally, my bad, but... um, That's fine. Should be back on the grind tomorrow. But you're right, it is a bit brisk. We're both sitting here at the table recording in hoodies, I think, for the first time since we've started this pod. Do you see a fucking hood on this thing? It's May. (laughs) Like, it's not even winter. I feel like in Brisbane, it's so weird. We live in the tropics, but it ticks over to May, and it's like May 1st, instantly cold. Yeah, it's really annoying. Like... One day you're at work, midday, mm. sweating your ass off working. Yeah. And then a week later, it's like, fuck, it's cold. Well, we also bitch about the weather if it's like 20. So we can't really talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw a movie this week. Mm. And this isn't, what the, this isn't what this episode's about. No. Because that'd be a bad episode. <laughs> but I watched a movie called The Drone. Have you heard of this? I had never heard of The Drone. Okay. It came out in 2019. And I'm going to pitch this to you. All right. Okay. Now imagine a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm looking at one. Bit of a, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Continue. Uh, bit of a peeping Tom. Oh. He uses one of those like quadcopter drones to spy ah, in okay. windows. Yep. Now imagine he dies. Okay. But in the process of dying, lightning strikes him. I'm getting child's play vibes already. And his soul goes into the drone. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> no, are you serious? That's yeah. A, oh, that's such a rip. It... Is it's one of those movies where it's so bad it's good. Because oh, okay. we watched it with um, Alex has got these friends who's like her godson's parents, right? Mm-hmm. And we watched it with them, and it's just one of those movies that you can put on and make fun of because okay, it's yeah. fucking bad. Yeah, like, okay, it's good for a laugh. With, with with that premise, how could it be? But it's it gave me real, and this is gonna sound great. Power Rangers vibes. Oh my! Like you, you, okay. you watch those like not the early Power Rangers, but the newer stuff mm. where he's just got that like cringe acting. Yeah, okay. Like over the top, and like who was uh, even in the new Power Rangers film? I can't even remember film? any of them. Man, yeah, yeah. No didn't idea. we see the movies and it had like the big green chick and? I couldn't tell you. No <laughs> one important. It was not memorable. It was like a rip off Zac Efron. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, okay, the drone. Yeah, don't watch it. Don't don't watch it. Wouldn't recommend that. But it is, unless it, it is one of those movies that you can put on and just make fun of with friends. Yeah, okay. I don't think I watched any movies this week apart from like whatever we're reviewing. Um, I did interview some artists though. That was cool. Um, most notably the singer of Wind Waker. So shout out to Liam if you're listening. That was sick. <laughs> nice flex. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Over here talking to <laughs> interviewing singers and shit. I just like the locals. They're so cool. Um, I guess we should probably tell the listeners what we're talking about today. 
Yes. It is not, in fact, the drone or Power no, Rangers. No, it's not the drone, not <laughs> We've Power led Rangers. them on. So today we are reviewing the 2018 film Hereditary, mm-hmm. which uh, was a breakout debut feature uh, written and directed by Ari Aster. Yeah, doing a couple of debut films. Like we had The mm. Witch, Robert Eggers, and now we got this one. I feel like the 2010s has just had some killer debut features from directors that are now like household names. Like look at Jordan Peele as well. Yeah. I mean, so. I've still, the, still the only movie of Jordan Peele's I've seen is Nope. So yeah. I still need to go back and watch the others. I was listening to another podcast today actually where they were talking about that. And it has... Uh, opened me up to some parts of that film that I took with a grain of salt. So I think I need to rewatch it because we saw that at the theaters, walked out not knowing if we enjoyed it or not. Yeah, I I definitely didn't not like it. Mm. But oh, I, I didn't hate it. It was entertaining. Yeah, but I didn't know if I liked it much. I just don't know if I... I, I well, no, I understood it. I got the premise. I got the whole twist and everything. I just don't know if it was worth the build-up. I don't think the payoff... Was worth that. Film. I don't know. This isn't an episode about anyway. <laughs> Hereditary. This was um, like I didn't see this at the cinema. Um, I bought it when it went to DVD, and all I had heard was how scary it was and how good it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it got raving reviews. I watched it and I loved it. But I think watching it again before this pod, I appreciate it so much more. It's definitely one of my favorite modern horrors. Damn, all right. That's a that's, a, that's a high bar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it'd it be in my top 10. I'll say that. Okay. I, I enjoyed it more than Midsummer. Okay. And I'm still yet to see <laughs> Bo is Afraid. <laughs> yep, that's right. I have the opposite opinion. I like Midsummer better. Okay, interesting. So we're it, two different fucking people there. They have similar elements, don't they? I guess well, it's the same guy. Both, both, yeah, both, both by Ari Aster. Mm. So obviously you're going to have that stuff that carries over. They're both kind of slow burns too. They're both slow burns. They both have like cult... Like people behind True. most of the stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, like the styles of shooting is the same, where he'll have like mm. a scene that has super intense music. And he had a similar thing in The Witch. As I was well, thinking that. Where it was like super intense music, like showing not really anything important, but mm. just showing something. And then just immediately dead cuts to a silent scene of something else. Yeah. Which I think seeing that in the cinema would really put you on edge where there's not many jump scares in this, or at least if there are, they're actually sick. Well, um, I, w- I was going to say, I. So I only watched this for the first time this weekend. And yeah. So there's probably yeah. some stuff I missed. There's some stuff I probably misunderstood. I hope I didn't hype this up too much before watching it. I, w- I was saying before, everyone else kind of hyped it up mm. as of like a very scary movie, a very good movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, those friends I mentioned before took it back down because they said they didn't like it that much. So. Was that before you watched it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I went in with like middling expectations, mm. but I still think it didn't live up to them. Okay. Like it, I didn't find it scary at all. Interesting. Uh, other than like, I don't know, the trauma of it is yeah. kind of scary. Yeah. But in terms of straight scare, not even slightly. Okay. I but- think it's it's not a it's not it is a horror movie, but it's it's more a family drama wrapped in a horror yeah. movie package. Yeah. That's that's like one of the things I took away from it. Um, was it's kind of. It's it's like equally confronting, but emotional as well. Because you've got like some significant gore in here, <laughs> like a, a kid getting decapitated, for example. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, multiple people get decapitated in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, that emotional trauma of like losing a loved one, uh, multiple loved ones in this mm. film. And it's just kind of this, this fan- the first half of the film is essentially the family struggling with grief and then the second half is where it like spirals into like a supernatural horror 
Yeah, that's another reason I didn't watch this for the longest time. Because mm. I've said before, supernatural horror movies aren't my go-to. I don't really appreciate them that much. Because, yeah. I don't know, ghosts don't do it for me. Yeah, And okay. so I put this one off. But afterwards, um, it's not really that much of a supernatural movie, I think. No. Like, I like that it wasn't just a, a haunting movie. Like, they weren't yeah. haunted by a spirit or anything. Yeah. There were deeper motivations and the actual motivations weren't the ghosts it was like rooted in real people mm, they're so I, very, I, I like that yeah they're very human characters they're very relatable mm. um and we should probably talk about who's in it so the film stars tony collette so uh shouting remem- out the locals i couldn't remember a single thing she's been in. i've seen in heaps of things but i couldn't remember any of them <laughs> except for like australian films i love but i Is had a quick australian? search she is. Yeah, okay. from Sydney, I believe. Um, turns out she was in... Well, she was in About a Boy. She was the suicidal I've, mother. I've never heard of that movie in my life. Okay. It's uh, <laughs> written by Nick Hornby. It's a very funny book. Okay. Um, and she was also in The Sixth Sense. Not seen that. Which... Oh, my God. <laughs> Nathan. Blasphemy. Um, which, a funny kind of connection. Um, the son is played by Alex Wolfe, who was in Old, which was also M. Night. And he was also in, like, the Jumanji remakes and whatever, but... You're just awful. Yeah. Um, and then the dad was Gabriel Byrne, who was from The Usual Suspects, and Satan in End of Days with Arnie, which is kind of yeah. cool. He was an interesting character in this. He was. He didn't, he didn't have much to do, but he was kind of like, I don't know, he was kind of what was holding the family together in a lot of the scenes. Yeah. You know what I found interesting about his role in this film is that I believe his profession in the story was a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something. Okay. Yet he's the most dismissive of them all. Like when it comes to emotional problems, like he's the the most kind of like objective and hmm. and hard ass. I didn't them all. I didn't pick up that that was his job, but that kind of makes sense with some of the like way he was talking to the son. Yeah, okay. What do you say? He's like, "How you feeling?" And his kids like, "Yeah, fine." He's like, "Okay, I'm here to talk about it if you like." Yeah, not like the Stereotypical dad where it's like You're winning son <laughs> <laughs> Yeah But then that is interesting Because then Maybe it's because He deals with that so much That when he He doesn't want to deal with that shit at home Yeah <laughs> Like when when the mother is like Crazy and Talking about Ghosts yeah. and shit He's like Really? Like, calm down I get enough of this shit at work Yeah fair And uh, Ari Aster actually has uh, A voice cameo In this film He's okay. the art dealer on the phone Because Tony Collette's character Annie She's like a miniaturist. She designs like model homes and um, little houses and, mm-hmm. and people and things like that. And um, there's a point where she gets a call from someone or it's a voicemail about wanting to expand on her work, someone who's interested in buying. And yeah, apparently that was him. I didn't oh, pick up go. on it at first because I well, didn't know what he sounded like. I've never heard Ariasta's voice before. Yeah, yeah. But that was nice. Nice touch. Um, and yeah, Tony Collette's acting in this, I thought it was brilliant. Like the way that she can go from like... Anger to grief mm. to um, like desperation, just like so um, with such conviction in each kind of stage of grief. I like that. Mm. I like that. Very vehement performance. Um, I suppose a bit of background on the film. It was produced by A24, um, which are becoming quite an established, um, I believe, independent film company these days in horror. Like, because um, they did, I think. Um, Arias's other films and some new ones coming out like Talk to Me, which is Australian. Mm-hmm, I'm keen mm-hmm. to see that when it drops. Um, and the film made eighty-two point five million dollars on a budget of ten. 
Fuck so me. it was successful. So it it kickstarted his career. That yeah, that, that's definitely an independent film because in, in terms of movie making, that's not much at all. Yeah, I guess it just built up enough hype um, from the trailers and the posters that people wanted to see it because I didn't really know anything about it going into it. Like I remember. I knew it was kind of like demonic possession, give or take. Okay. But like, I also knew it was called hereditary. So it had to have <laughs> something to do with like a lineage, yep. um, like a family curse or something. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting too. Like the, <laughs> I guess talking about the trailer, um, I read that apparently was accidentally shown before a screening of Peter Rabbit at a cinema <laughs> in Western Australia. That's and, great. Uh, it made news because like <laughs> kids were like screaming and shit. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, I mean, poor poor kids, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. starting them early. Um, But yeah, like the rooms of the house that they were shooting in was built on a soundstage to get that dollhouse aesthetic because one of my favorite parts of the film is the opening where it kind of shows um, Annie's like art room and it's got like this slow zoom on a dollhouse or like a a miniature house that she's built. And is that, is that like their house? I think so, because yeah, okay. it like slowly zooms into this bedroom and then it like smoothly transitions into the son's bedroom mm. and the dad walks in and like that's the first proper scene of the family. Like that was super that, nice. That was very cool. Yeah. But I guess in a nutshell, um, the the film's about a grieving family with like a sinister family secret that you don't really learn too much about until the end. Mm. Um, and Tony Collette's character, Annie is like estranged from her mother who dies. So the first proper scene is them going to her funeral and sort of admitting they didn't really know much about her because she was a private woman. Yeah, and that, that that like whole funeral scene makes a lot of sense after you like finish watching the movie. Because mm. when you first watch it, you just get a sense of like, when she's up there reading the eulogy, like there's no love in that eulogy at all. No, she, it's, it's, it's it very sounds clinical. like she's it's just a chore that she's trying to read that. And when I was watching, I was like, "Yeah, geez, what the hell's going on here?" I was like, "Oh yeah, no, that makes sense." Yeah, yeah I get that. It's like because there's even a point in her dialogue, I think, when they get back to the house from the funeral, where she kind of says to Steve, her partner, like, "I feel like I should be sadder." Yeah, <laughs> um, which it kind of sets it up, I guess, um, for more trauma uh, later in the film when when the next death happens, but. Like, what I get from this, to put it simply for listeners who have not seen it, is essentially that mysterious mother belonged to this, like, cult or this spiritual group. Um, And then, like, a friend of hers that you don't find out, she knew Annie's mother till later in the film, uh, from what I understand, summons a demon to possess uh, their son, Peter, because Mm -hmm. in this, like, this sort of curse, I guess, or whatever that's, like, going through the family line, needs, like, a male host to take for this this um, demon called Paimon, I think. Paimon, yeah. Yeah, it needs a male host to like walk the earth. Yep. I I have some thoughts on that. Mm. If we want to get into that now. Yeah. Uh So uh, in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. There's when she goes to like the grief counseling scene. Yeah. She talks about how her brother committed suicide when he was 11. Mm. Okay. And then was apparently schizophrenic mm-hmm. and was having delusions that her mother was trying to put people in him. Mm. So do you think that means like she originally tried it with her son? For sure. Yeah, because that, yeah. that, that's what I thought afterwards. I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Because there's even like a dream sequence later in the film where Annie tells her son Peter that she didn't want him. Like he was an accident and he's like screaming because you don't know this is a uh, dream sequence. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, why are you telling me this? Why are we trying to kill me? And I guess then you find out why. 
Hmm. I mean, I guess that also makes sense then why, because she says she tried not to have him. Like mm. she tried to have a miscarriage. Yeah. And she tried everything she could, but nothing would work. Yeah. Maybe there was like a spiritual thing going on where the pagan cult, whatever, mm. like, I don't know, cast a spell on her or something. Yeah. So that she wouldn't miscarry. Possibly. Yeah. It's, it's like a very... I've read that a lot of people didn't like this film because the ending didn't make sense. And I'll admit when I first watched it, I wasn't too sure what was happening. I just knew I liked it because of the visuals. But I think that's essentially it. It's like the mother was like a matriarch of this family and she wanted to summon this demon and she needed a male host to do it. So she was just waiting for a son or a grandson or a great grandson to come along. And yeah, like you said in the counseling meeting, and he talks about how she has like such a traumatic upbringing with just like a family history of mental disorders. Like I think she said that her mother before she died had like DID and dementia. Yeah. And her father like, um, died with like uh what was it psychotic depression by starving himself when she was yeah. a baby yeah so pretty fucked up just history. a whole family lineage of uh mental shit yeah but i also kind of like throughout the film like speaking of a dream sequence is how they use sleepwalking as like an analogy for her ignorance to like admitting blame for things like even though she says in that like counseling session that um, she always feels like she's to blame and she gets blamed, but she doesn't know what for. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you have these dream sequences all throughout. And she says how she was sleepwalking um, like years before the film is is set and woke up striking a match with her and her children covered in paint thinner. And that's why there's this distrust between her and her children. Yeah, that that was that kind of like out of the blue. Because yeah. she's talking to her, like the friend, was it Joni or something like that? Joan, yeah. Joan. She's talking to her friend about that. She just brings it up out of nowhere. <laughs> like, hey, I know I barely know you, but let me talk about this traumatic thing that I did to almost kill my son. Yeah, so this woman has had a hell of a life. And um, it sounds like she struggles every day with guilt. And she's like constantly trying to prove herself that no, like she loves everyone in her family very much. And then you know, as a result, her son gets... Possessed by this demon and the rest of her family dies. So it's, yeah. it's she's just doomed. Well, from the start of the movie, like it, you can already tell it's a tense family. Mm. Like there's no love between the mother and the daughter. Even like between Peter and the sister. Yeah. I can't remember her name. Oh, Charlie. Ch- Charlie, there we go. Um, yeah, like they, they don't seem to like or love each other at all. Mm. Charlie's an unusual looking child. Okay, no need to attack her like that. That's fine. <laughs> well, I did say she's ugly or anything. She's just unusual looking. Unusual. Yeah, um, unique. And she's like a quirky character as well. Like she's like very much um, the outcast and doesn't seem to have any friends. And that's like why the mother tries to like get her to go out more and, and meet people. And um, she has these weird little like mannerisms. Like she has that tongue click that like mm-hmm. or whatever that she does that yep. comes up a lot in the film. Um, and she makes like these weird little figures kind of like the mum does but it's like household objects and they look really fucking creepy yes household objects such as pigeon head <laughs> that was that was sick um as in like disgusting oh well, well, yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah also uh it's interesting how the film begins with like an obituary text of the mother like you would read it in a newspaper and Mm -hmm. it's like this is how she died these are her kin um this is when we're hosting the funeral like Mm -hmm. i thought that was really odd i mean i think it's literally just like an obituary right yeah i i think that's what it was meant to be um and i also like that uh like 
you see the treehouse early on in the film. It's like one of the opening shots before that slow zoom on the bedroom mm-hmm. in the model house that becomes the real house. Um, and also the final scene is that treehouse. And it does that a lot throughout where it'll show a shot of something that seems meaningless. But, of course, it comes back um, significantly at another point in the film. Okay. Like the power pole... Um, chopping the nuts at the party, things I, like that. I did pick up on those ones with yeah. the power pole. Is that the same one that fucking decapitated the daughter? Yeah. So does that mean... Because something you find out at the end is that the cult has pretty much been orchestrating things to go a certain way to mm. pretty much get the kid possessed. Yeah. But so they somehow, I don't know, cast a spell, did a ritual that would cause her to get decapitated from the pole? I don't think so. Because or is it just a massive coincidence that that pole was the one that she got fucking um, knocked on? I think it's just really shit luck because like... No, surely wh- not. The <laughs> one power pole on a whole fucking highway well, that has its symbol carved into it. There's got to be some like spiritual magnetism there. I mean, that's fair because when it shows Peter and Charlie driving to the party, the highway is in like a desert. Like it's in the middle of nowhere. There's no trees or anything. Yeah, there's this one power pole. Mm-hmm. But then I think... Um, like when they're coming back, there's a dead deer on the road, and he swerves to miss it. Oh, actually, so yeah. Well, they didn't cast a spell; they just killed so, the deer and put it on. The- oh, maybe I don't know. I just thought it was happenstance, but it could be cursed. Because they say later or- as well that Charlie is the one they want to possess with the king, right? Because at the end, they say, "Well, doesn't it have to be a male host?" Because she finds that passage in like yeah, that book. but then. Because at the start of the movie, Charlie says, like, the grandma always wished she was a boy. And then later, like, mm. at the very end, when the, I don't know, the cult chick is saying, like, a, I don't know, prayer sermon, saying, yeah, who, okay. saying who he is, says, we've corrected your first form. Like, so it's it's Charlie possessed mm. into Peter, possessed by payment. Oh. That's the way I saw it. I think you're right. I didn't make that connection, but I think you're right. That's just odd because, like, Peter is older than Charlie, so they already had a male. Yeah, see, I didn't quite understand that. Yeah, but you do have a fair point because they show, like, just after the, like, grandmother's funeral um, that Charlie misses her and that they had, like, a close connection, Mm. whereas no one else in the family really did. And they even say, like, the mother even says when Charlie was born, like, the grandmother didn't even want the mum to breastfeed her. Well, they say feed, but breastfeed. Mm. And she wanted to do it herself. So she wanted to like immediately pretty much take the child and like Yeah, okay. Like like they say, Cinco hooks into him from birth into her mm. from birth. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so I can see that. That cha- changes the movie to that instead of the child getting decapitated being just horrific accident. Yeah. It was orchestrated by the cult mm. to just so that she could die. And then they plant the seeds of the seance with the friend. Yeah. To then I don't know, get the, the soul of Charlie into the house to then possess Peter. Yeah, okay, I can see that for sure. That's now that we're like pulling this apart. That's a complex storyline. I can see why a lot of people didn't like it because they didn't get it. Yeah, I mean, there's always the chance that I'm not getting it, but I th- that's the way I think it is. Well, that's what I think is really good about us, like dissecting these films, is we interpret things differently, and then when we bring it to the table, like someone will see something that the other didn't, and that's how we can like create a combined. Uh, interpretation of what happens we could be both wrong (laughs) but i like it i like that um on that note i guess we should probably mention how like a couple times throughout the film i guess it's kind of like in donnie darko where there's where there's that weird like 
the abyss looking blurry transparent thing that moves throughout the house yeah it's like a blue light in uh, i think it appears in charlie's bedroom and she sees it and follows it it's like lens flare or something um and then it like leads her into the yard where i don't know if she sees like what's meant to be the dead grandmother or if it's just some other cult member well that yeah that's this is definitely a movie you have to watch twice because yeah. when I first saw that, saw that I thought it was the dead grandmother. Mm. But then later, when there's all these naked old people mm. like surrounding the house, yeah, like, like the it, worshippers, you, you go back and think, oh, okay, well then was that one of them? Yeah, but okay. then why wouldn't the mother see it? Was she just too focused on Charlie and? Yeah, maybe. And ignorant to the fact that there was a naked old lady out there. By yeah. Fire. Well, she's like sitting in a ring of fire. Like it's she's conducting some sort of ritual. I think. Yeah. But the mother doesn't see it, so maybe it was just like a vision for Charlie. Okay, yeah, probably. Something like that. I don't know, because that blue light appears again in, in, I think, Peter's classroom at some point, and he, like, follows it, turns and looks in, like, a window or something, and it's a re- he's, like, creepily smiling in his reflection. Yeah, okay, so it must just be, I don't know, it just shows him visions or something. Yeah, a sign from beyond the grave, something like that. These miniature houses that Annie designs, the figures in them kind of take on increasingly eerie positions and like reenact these like odd scenes in the model houses that eventually play out in the film, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, okay. I, I started, I saw a couple of those. Mm. I Was that her putting them there or? Well, like, there's some they shots. Just move around. Oh, I don't think they move on their own because there's some shots where like you see her face behind a, a door mm. threshold as she's like adjusting them or something. Okay. Because she starts to lose it like after a while. Like <laughs> it's kind of like those stages of grief, like I said before, where there's like the denial, the acceptance and all that. And um, there's one point where she's like recreating the scene of the power pole on the car and the severed head on the ground. And she's just like super placid and like nonchalantly designing this, like painting the blood and the... The dad is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, like, I, why I, are you recreating I the scene? I thought that was a really interesting scene because like... Mm, it just shows how detached she's become. Yeah, like that, I guess that's her way of processing because she even says like, it's a way to look at it. Like, like an ne- objectively? Objective neutral look at it. Yeah, yeah. But like, fuck, that's... Imagine like you've just lost a kid and mm. you walk in and your wife is recreating it as a diorama. Yeah. By the way, I suppose we probably should have stated at the start of this episode that there will be spoilers. <laughs> I mean, this film came out in 2018 and it was huge. So if you haven't yeah. seen it and you're this deep into the podcast wondering why there's a dead kid, we uh, we apologize, but um, <laughs> you, you, you should have known. So it's, we should probably go through that notorious scene because that's like what made the film as like yeah. confronting okay. as it is. Um, that is the highlight of the, I guess, like the movie. Yeah. Well, not like the highlight, but like the most memorable It's the scene most memorable. It's what you walk away from remembering. It's the one that, hit me like the most unexpectedly yeah yeah and so essentially peter wants to go to this house party where this chick in his class he likes is going so he asks his mom and he's trying to play it off all cool and she's like all right well if you're definitely not drinking take your sister well i thought that was funny because he was saying oh it's just a like a school barbecue yeah so he's trying to be secretive about it yeah and then she's like she's acting as if she like she doesn't care like she knows it's a party Mm. and so she's like are you drinking and he's like, no, we're too young to get um, drinks anyway. Yeah. And she's like, no, I asked if you're drinking. And he's like, no, I just said I wasn't. I, so it's a weird dynamic where he's trying to be secretive because he's obviously, I don't know, planning on drinking. I guess. Well, he's like 16. Like she knows he's probably done things that she doesn't want to know about. Yeah, but it's just a weird like, um, like relationship where 
she's fine with it if he was drinking, almost mm. like. Like, she'd be fine with it. She just wants him to tell the truth. Yeah. But he's still trying to hide it. Yeah, I think I feel like that happens with most teenagers and their parents, though. Because, like, she knows that he's probably going to drink and has, you know, had alcohol in the past at parties, but she just doesn't want to accept it yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, but, go, go continue with that. Yeah, so, so anyway, and because um, Charlie's is a bit of an like a loner um and she the mum wants her to make friends she's like all right we'll take your daughter and take like, your daughter uh, <laughs> <laughs> shit uh take your sister and like essentially <laughs> coerces her into going um they drive down the highway they pass this power pole which is a bad omen and they get to the party and there's like um a chick in the kitchen chopping nuts which um, earlier in the film, I think at the funeral, Charlie's like eating a chocolate bar and mm. the dad's like, there's not nuts in that, is there? So they yeah, kind of like they, allude to an allergy. They plant the seeds early and you're like, okay, so she's obviously got a nut allergy. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. They mention they don't have an EpiPen on them or something. I remember that. But then, yeah, as soon as you walk in the party, it's kind of like telegraphed mm. extensively because like it's a long, not a, it's like a zoomed in close-up shot of yeah. them cutting the walnuts. It's subtle, yeah. but I, it's it's enough. Okay. Um, there, there might be some people that missed it, but I yeah. don't think it'd be hard to miss that. Like, like if you were, Chekhov's if you, walnut. I guess like if you weren't listening to that line of dialogue about the allergy earlier in the film, then you might not pick up on that. But I thought it was it was nicely done. Um, so anyway, uh, Peter kind of abandons Charlie as soon as he walks in the door and he finds the chick he likes, um, asks if she wants to smoke some good weed with him. <laughs> Um, and essentially while he's getting high with some other people, um, Charlie helps herself to some of this chocolate cake, um, unaware it's got nuts in it and starts like having trouble breathing. She's mm. drinking water. I think she tries calling him a few times, but like, no, nah, the mum tries calling. Oh, the mum tries. Okay. Yeah. So like something's wrong and she's, she's not sure what it is. Um, and then I think at one point she like goes into the room and she's like, Oh, it's hard to breathe. Yeah. And her throat's like all closed up and she's like red in the face. Um, and he picks her up, takes her into the car and drives to, tries to take her to the nearest hospital. And this scene, man, was like the most intense scene I think I've ever watched <laughs> in a film. Like it was giving me heart palpitations to watch right. this man. Cause like she's in the back of the car. He's speeding in this like highway in the middle of the night. She's like scrambling in the back seat cause she can't fucking breathe. Yeah, he's like clawing at her neck. Yeah. Like suffocating in the back seat. And this is where she like puts the window down and sticks her head out to try and get some fresh air. Um, Peter sees the dead deer on the road, slams on the brakes and swerves. And that's when she gets cleaned up by that same power pole. Mm. Um, yeah, it's fucking intense. I also think it, it caught me off guard in two ways. Like one, you don't expect the little girl character Mm. to die half an hour into the movie. Yeah. Especially by a pole decapitation. For sure. Uh, but then the way they shot it, like they don't, it's not a gory scene because they don't show her no. getting decapitated or anything. Yeah, it relies more on the um, the emotional shock. Yeah, and so I was like, oh shit, that is an emotional scene. Good lord, that's crazy. Mm. And I was like, okay, I guess they're not going to show it to like keep that emotional punch. Yeah. But then eventually later you see the decapitated head. And I'm like, oh fuck, no, there it is. Yeah, it's like lying there on the road in the sun getting eaten by ants. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's gnarly. They, they kind of have the best of both worlds where yeah. they, get, they get that emotional punch and then later you get that. Just fucking gold. Yeah, once the tension is settled, it's like, bam. Yeah. Um, but I really like how they they let that tension ease of its own accord in that scene because it's not like immediate release after that. They build up that intense scene where you're on the edge of the seat because she's dying in the back seat, gets beheaded, and then like the car screeches to a halt and Peter is just there for like a good 30 <laughs> seconds, like foot still slammed on the brake, like gripping the, mm. the steering wheel super tightly. 
just kind of like he knows he's fucked up. He knows something's wrong because he can't hear her in the back seat. Yeah, and there's like you can tell that he's just just fucking terrified. He's probably yeah. in shock, and so he's. I guess in my mind he's thinking like if I don't look back, mm. then it's then nothing's wrong. He's probably like, what do I tell my parents? <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you, there's nothing you can yeah. tell your parents. He's he wants the earth to swallow him whole in that moment. Um, yeah, brilliantly acted by Alex Wolf, I might add, but he just kind of like slowly and silently drives home, leaves the like headless corpse in the back seat, parks in the driveway, walks in, lays down in bed, um, and then I think it shows like the next morning when. He's like wide-eyed in bed and you can hear Annie's screams in the background, like just howling at seeing her dead daughter. And um, yeah, it's just very grim. Yeah. I mean, fucking dick move by the by Peter there. Yeah. Like, okay, you've... An, an unfortunate accident has occurred. Yeah. So are you just going to leave it in a car and then let someone else find it? Like, fucking hell. I mean, I don't have any siblings. I'm an only child. But how would you tell your mum <laughs> that... <laughs> You've just accidentally Fucking killed a sibling. Damo's cock today. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. No, uh, like yeah, it's you couldn't. That'd... There's yeah, it's 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 fucking heavy. Um, and like, <sighs> there's that scene where they're at the dinner table. I don't know if it's like that next night or something, but you can no, just it, like it's it's got to be way later because they have the funeral beforehand. Mm, like you could cut the air with a knife. It's <laughs> super palpable. Um, energy at the table. And everyone can tell that everyone's off, like the three of them now. Mm. Um, and Peter's just like, is there something on your mind, mom? And she kind of like scoffs and doesn't say anything. And this is where he starts to get angry. He's like, look, I know you fucking hate me now. Just come out and say it to my face. Don't skulk around and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wallow in it. And she just erupts. <laughs> like her her delivery of the next like few minutes of dialogue is explosive and fucking terrifying. Yeah, that's raw. Yeah, well, I mean... For good reason, like yeah, oh, for like, sure. It, like, yeah, like imagine being in that situation because it's it's not his fault, right? It was an accident, mm, but mm. she's got no way to rectify that. Like, yeah, in her mind, like she, some part of her thinks it's his fault. Yeah, and then so when he hits her back with like the well, she didn't even want to go to the party. You made her. Yeah, like yeah. that probably just fucking hit her even more. Yeah, it's like. Because Annie accuses Peter of ruining the family by not apologizing. Like, apparently he never, like, says sorry for it or anything. But then he blames her for Charlie's death because he made her go Mm. when she clearly did not want to go. And Peter didn't want her to go either. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like a stalemate of just this grudge that (laughs) simmers away um, of this dysfunctional family. Um, And it's... I really like that plot point too. And the fact that it's pretty much smack bang halfway through the film's runtime is because that's like a pivotal point where it it changes from just a film about tragedy, family tragedy to the straight out horror because they didn't really mourn the loss of the grandmother. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, it kind of like was less drawn out in the lead up to it. And in the aftermath, it just kind of flashes forward to the next day and, um, it's obviously felt a lot more deeply by the family and the audience at this point. Another point like in the film is, um, I don't know if you actually see her at the meeting because you find out Joan actually knew Annie's mom and they were in this cult together. Like, I don't know if she was actually at the meeting or if she just says it to try and make Annie a bit more accepting of letting her into her life. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking as well when you find out later. Like, yeah. she, I guess she just followed her there. Yeah. And I, then just... Saw she was going away, and so I was like, "All right, now's my chance, time to yeah. jump out and she oh, like, like stops her in a car park." <laughs> yeah, or maybe she was at the first meeting. No, she wouldn't have. 
No, she'd have to be because she said, I saw you there like two months ago. Uh, Otherwise, okay. how would she know? Because she went... Oh, no, yeah. She probably did go because she went for her like um, grandson that drowned. It was like seven or something. Or was that made up? It could have been, but they had like photos in her kitchen and dining I don't room. Know. How deep does the conspiracy go? Oh, man? yeah, you're right. You make me second guess Because there's, the, there's a seance scene later mm. where it's, the Joan uses it as like, uh, like an in to... Mm. What's, what's the mother's name? Annie. Annie. It's an in to Annie to be like, hey, this is how you can, I guess, conjure up Charlie's spirit to talk to her again. Mm. So I guess there had to have been a spirit on the other side to show her that, which is a really cool scene. Yeah. Because there's like a, a chalkboard where they provide the seance and get the spirit to write, I love you, granny. Yeah. That was a practical effect. Oh, Like sick. they put a magnet in a chalk, I was a piece hoping of chalk, it would. and then just like under the table. That's cool. Because I think Ariasta said any possible shot in the movie that they can do with practical effects they will yeah nice and so there's respect fuck all cgi in this movie yeah yeah that's sick um and also like the glass like spinning on its own like moving around mm. the table and annie's just freaking out screaming at the table like yeah. it's it's pretty cool um like i don't like that sort of spiritual stuff in movies because mm. i don't buy it in real life yeah and so i was a bit prehensive might be a word for that um when i was watching that scene but i'm fine with the way they did it because like, she reacted as you would. Like, if you're a yeah. skeptic and you're just playing there in front of you, like, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, just, you just can't comprehend it. Yeah, see, I also... I want to pitch this to you. So, okay. we said before that, like, her friend Joan supposedly had this young grandson who died and that's how she learned to use the seance and stuff. Yep. Do you think all of that was fake, like you said, to get Annie to open up to, like, bring this demon... Um, Haman in like the eighth king of hell or whatever whatever they call him um do you think in that scene that's what she's doing because you know how demons they say demons like mimic young children so maybe she conjured up the demon there in that seance to attach herself to annie and that's why she's so desperate and like insists her to do it herself in her home with her family for charlie no i think there was a little boy okay yeah okay that makes the most sense maybe they tried using the little boy as the first, like, mm. vessel for payment. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Okay. Your your tone of voice there says, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it could be. Um, And then, like, there's a really cool scene as well where you, you see Peter in his class, like, sketching out a lot. Like, um, that one scene <laughs> he's where... He's just high all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he is. Um, But he, he's, like, he hears the tongue click that mm. Charlie does, which freaks him out, and... There's that scene where I think it's like Charlie like possessing him because maybe she blames him or something where he's like throat closes up at his desk. He's like arms all twisted in the air and then he just like slams his head down on his desk like multiple times, mm. breaks his nose and then just like freaks out on the floor, like screaming and freaking the other kids out. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's like Charlie being malicious or anything. Okay. Like sure, because even at the end of the movie when Charlie's fucking like not at the end of the movie, when, but when Charlie's first possessing um, oh, Annie. Yeah, because she uses like, Annie as like a conduit to speak yeah, when they do a seance. She doesn't sound like anger or anything. She's just like scared and confused of what's happening because yeah. it's a little girl who's just died. So why was he like all puffed up? Like he had the anaphylactic reaction? Well, like I her. mean, maybe like it was because of Charlie, but not on purpose. Oh, uh, okay. I don't know. Maybe he's just... And then like the head slamming on the desk? Like what was that? I can't... I don't know. <laughs> I, I just don't know. Some things just should not try and answer in yeah. this film. Um, and there's a cool part later where 
like Annie tries burning this picture book that Charlie keeps when she's like doing her little drawings and like she catches fire. Her arm mm. catches fire when she throws the book in the fire. So she like grabs a poker and pulls it out. Um, and then later in the film, she gets her husband, Steve, she like douses it in um, paint, thinners. A, a paint thinner, yeah, and like tells him to chuck it in the fire cause, and she'll combust as well. And that way, just like get it over and done with. We yeah. don't want this to, I, I want to protect you guys kind of thing. I thought that was a really cool scene because she's, that, that comes off the back of her going through like this frantic trying to explain it to him of like, yeah. no, I finally understand what's going on. I know mm. what's happening. I know how to fix it. I'm the only one that can fix it. Yeah. And she's like fully prepared to like die to mm. save her family. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's fine. But he doesn't have any of any of it. He's like, no, nah, yeah. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not um, like feeding into your illusions anymore. Like, yeah. I can't do like, this. So he does not believe it despite the fact that he's mm. seen it definitely um, stuff happen. Yeah, it definitely like represents the the breakdown of the marriage. Yeah, and, and then very much like the twist of like she she throws it in. Yeah, and he catches on fire. Yeah, yeah. Like that was unexpected. I like that. That was cool. Um, I yeah, I don't know like how that would have happened. I don't know if that was like the curse just constantly targeting men in the family or what. But <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I think it kind of makes me think that everything that happens in the movie is kind of orchestrated and mm. preordained like the way i look at it whether it's a spirit or you know the pagan people made her arm catch on fire the first time mm. so that they'd plant that seed in her mind so that would later when she goes to do it they just do it on him instead yeah i guess it's hard to kind of speculate on why these unexplained things happen in the film because you don't really see the cult members doing anything you only see yeah. them peripherally like whether they're standing in the darkness naked watching them which is creepy or it's the friend joan who's already like orchestrated everything like you said so it does leave a it's got a very ambiguous um like reason as to how these things are happening it only really gives you an answer to the why yeah and i guess we should mention like the reason steve the the husband and the father is so disbelieving is because like, he gets a call that the grandmother's grave is desecrated and then an email showing that it's all dug up and everything. And then I think it's, like, the next day or something and he goes into the attic um, and finds, like, her mother's headless corpse, mm. like, on the floor of the attic surrounded by candles. Um, and then with, when, like... With that symbol carved above her in blood. Yeah, like the cult symbol that she had as a necklace or something. Yeah, the same symbol um, that was on the, the post where Charlie got decapitated. Oh really? Yeah, because that, that's what I was talking about before. Oh, like, I didn't pick up on like that. when the when the when the car goes by the first time, oh, it shows right. the post with that symbol carved into it. Okay, I see what you mean now about maybe they put a hex on that or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I so can see So it's just that. like that. That symbol is something that yeah, is very true. relevant to the cult and like has power. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Um, so we should probably mention that all that happened. And then when Steve brings Peter home from school after he's like broken his nose on his own desk and she's like, look, I really need to go into the attic and see what's up there. And, um, that's when like he sees it. So it, it's real. It was there. Um, but he just thinks she's like <laughs> lost it because he got the email about the grave being dug up and mm. she's being like away of a night sleeping in the tree house because that's where Charlie used to sleep. So yeah. She's doing that as, like, a way to feel closer to her in death. But um, Steve just, like, thinks that she's being, like, grave robbing and, like, doing all these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's 
it makes sense. Like if you're yeah, in, if valid, you're in those shoes, valid concerns. Yeah, she has a a, a history of doing bad things while she's sleepwalking. Yeah, when you learn out about what the fuck <laughs> when you i was trying to say you learn and when you find out at the same time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah like that that whole dream sequence that they were telling joan about yeah that'd be terrifying waking up to find that you're covered in a flammable liquid and um your mother's got a lit match i mean just just you. sleepwalking in general is terrifying it's i used scary. to sleepwork oh, sleepwork fuck, fuck that's it well, i'm stopping this recording right now <laughs> i uh, i used to sleepwalk a lot when i was younger um not so much these days but um like when I was staying at grandparents' house in, in Victoria and they had like a long hall, I would just appear in the middle of the <laughs> night next to like my nan in the couch watching TV and freak her out. Yeah, I've 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 slept walked and slept talked and just done stuff in my sleep and mm. it's, it's always weird because like someone will tell you about it the next day. Yeah. And you'd be like, What the fuck are you talking about? It's scary, man. It's like, fuck, what if I got in a car and like, yeah, like drive you have, to work? You have or no something? control over what you're doing and yeah. I don't know. What if you happen to get some paint thinners and go to <laughs> Go like, to douse it on someone in your sleep. I remember one time I had a bunk bed where the top was the bed and the bottom was just like shelving, like a bookcase or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I woke up on the ground on my back with a splitting headache, <laughs> went into the bathroom and in the mirror, I had a massive egg and a bruise on my forehead. <laughs> so I think what happened was I was sleepwalking, tried to climb out down the ladder, slipped, hit my head on the corner of the bunk bed and knocked myself out in my sleep. Fucking hell. Knocked yourself out in your sleep. I don't know. Jesus. I don't know what happened. See, that's but... the problem with bunk beds, man. Yeah, I know. Dangerous. I was, I, was I, I had a bunk bed when I was a kid, but it had one of those like safety rails. I think this had that? one of those. Okay, that's right. like I don't think I rolled out. I think I was like trying to like climb a ladder in my sleep and as a result obviously slipped. I don't know. Okay, yeah. Like to this day I don't know what happened. <laughs> so, you know, I was going to say are you a top bunk or a bottom bunk boy, but you you probably never had a bunk bed that was You know me, I'm always a bottom. <laughs> <laughs> a power bottom though. Power bottom. Yeah. Um It's all in the hips. <laughs> uh yeah, cuz like I had bunk bed growing up cuz I got an older brother. Mm. But we'd like swap every now and then from like top bunk to bottom bunk. And oh, okay. Like in all the movies and stuff, you always see people being like, I call top bunk. So you make it makes you think the top bunk's like the cool one. It's superior. But I don't know. It's just a hassle. Yeah. It takes longer to get up there and you've got to go to the bathroom or something. You risk waking up the bottom bunk. Exactly. But also, what if you're the bottom and the one on top wets the bit? Well, it's just a risk you're going to have to take. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, because if you ever have a bottom bunk, you could just like drape fucking blankets down it and make a easy easy fort yeah but I you mean, can't do shit like that with the top bunk we're 25 nathan but <laughs> yeah i'd still do that if i had a fucking bunk bed <laughs> oh, don't you shit. judge me no that's fair that's cool um we should probably get back to the <laughs> back to the movie. back back to back the to plot the, yeah. um there was another thing i was going to mention that i noticed about the film and i I wasn't sure. Oh, yeah. You know, they're like paganistic names that are getting like scratched or carved into the wallpaper. Yeah. Was yeah. that Charlie or was it just No, like... I think that was the cult members. Because okay. I was, yeah, I, when, when they start for first start showing up, mm. I thought, oh, yeah, because I, I went into this movie thinking it was just a haunting possession movie. Didn't realize it had right. like cult stuff. Yes. And so I thought that was just like, you know, a ghost carving stuff in the wall. Okay. But it's almost okay. like they're the cult members carving them into the walls to like... Again, like, either they have, like, certain mystical abilities or something. Yeah, okay. Like, trying to summon this payment being... Yeah, it's just it's just all part of the ritual. You just start putting, you know, mm. in- inscriptions everywhere. 
Yeah. And towards the end of the film where like Annie becomes like full on possessed or whatever, it gave me real Evil Dead Rise vibes. Like the mother <laughs> from Evil Dead Rise when she's trying to convince the kids that she's okay and then she's yeah. like clearly not. I like that. She's crawling along the ceiling. Um, which is really cool. And then... Uh, it gave me more... Babadook vibes, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I suppose, too, I, I was thinking um, that a lot throughout the film because of the grief. Yeah. Well, which one came out first? Babadook or Hereditary? Uh, I don't know. What, what year did this, this one come out? 2019. This was 2018. 2018. And I feel like Babadook might have been 2016. So this is 2014. So this is just, 2014. Copy, this is just copying the Babadook. Interesting. It's just like less of an on-the-nose metaphor, I guess, having like this big black shape in the basement of the house. Yeah. Like it was in the Babadook. Yeah. Both of them are just movies about handling grief and somewhat mental illness. And a mother particularly. And yeah, a mother and a child that's, I guess, getting possessed by Mm. the evil. Yeah. Okay. I can see that connection. Um, Yeah. And there's like even that scene we were talking about like before we started recording where she's like midair in the attic. And I thought she had like a wire, like slowly sawing her own head off. Um, yeah. To be like her mother. Yeah, because I, <laughs> this is two different ways to which we saw that. Because you thought it was that. I thought she just had two knives and was stabbing herself. Mm. So we'll have to go back. I and don't look actually what she recall, but yeah, if one you, would be easier. If you see Dylan at work, tell him which one you thought it was. Because <laughs> I do like that you see her doing that. Peter sees the like naked cult members up there, freaks out, just jumps out the attic window. Yeah, but then you just hear out of frame. The soaring getting faster and faster, and then it's the head like drop and roll onto the ground. Yeah, that that's probably what it is. I just didn't catch it. Yeah. Although I, when when the when you first see the naked cult members in there, mm. I didn't know they were real. I thought they were just like more ghosts and stuff. And so it took me a while to okay. to make the transition from this is not a haunting movie to this is a real life movie. Like, well, they're they're real people. That's a fair assumption because they never speak. Mm. Um, and it's never multiple members of the family that see them at once. And there is that moment early in the film, just after the mother's funeral, where Annie like thinks she sees her mother like in the dark room, like flicks the light on, and then she's gone. Do you remember that bit? Yeah. See, that's that that because that was more of the the haunting movie. And that's when she believes she's become like this medium because of like Joan in her ear about it. Well, that comes later. Yeah. 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 So did she really see the grandmother in the room then? I don't think so. I think it was just... She's just having hallucinations. Just the beginning of of uh, things getting weird. <laughs> um, and interesting, when Peter jumps out the window and is like face down in the dirt in the yard, they almost show that blue light again, but it's now like a soul or something. Like this fluctuating, transparent entity that just like enters his back. And that's when he's okay, in well, like, like the trance. I guess that's either Charlie's soul or yeah. Payman's soul. Yeah, okay. I can see that. Um, And then that end scene, man, it reminded me a lot of Midsummer, which this obviously came out beforehand, Mm -hmm. um, just in the way that it was like a big staged unsettling scene with a lot of um, passive onlookers Mm -hmm. and just like scun people. He seems to have a thing for like human skin. like Scun? Yeah, like or like tan. Is that that like the, the past tense of skin? Skinned? Is that what I meant to say? I think so. Scun is not a word. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> these <laughs> these tanned people they've got they've been like in the sun a bit too long. No, is, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> anyway, the skin of people. <laughs> he yeah, has okay. a fascination with like skinning people and putting them on other things. Like in Midsummer, 
Um, for those who haven't seen that, it ends with... Um, for those like, who haven't seen it, we're about to tell you how it ends, so be careful. <laughs> but, well, should I say this or should I cut this? Yeah, just it's spoilers. Okay, but, spoilers. Yeah. So skip ahead like 15 seconds if you haven't seen Midsummer. Um, they burn down this barn with the um, people who were visiting this uh, this place Midsummer um, and didn't make it through the night and they've got like the skin stuffed with straw. Mm. And it's really gross. And anyway, in this... That was perfect. That was 15 seconds. <laughs> um, in this, uh, so Peter's now in like a transform and he like wanders up to this treehouse where he's just seen his like mother's headless corpse float up the steps. Well, because it's not Peter anymore. No, no. He's now Payman or Charlie mm. or something. It's it's unclear. Um <laughs> And he goes up there and they're having this ritual where there's these candles everywhere. Everyone's like kneeling down, like worshipping this, like, it's like a mannequin. It's like a clothes store dummy, but with Charlie's skinned face on it with like a crown. Mm-hmm. Um, really weird. And they're all like chanting, hail payment or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they take the crown off and put it on him. And that's kind of how it ends. Yeah, that's it's somewhat abrupt, like <laughs> that all this has happened in the film, and then the last scene is just like, what did I just watch? Yeah, well, I, we all we all like movies like that. The witch, yeah. end, which ended in a similar way. Midsummer ended in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what did you think? What was some of the best bits in the film? Like, what did what were some moments that you enjoyed the most? Other than the head decapitation scene. Yeah, uh, I don't know about moments, but there are certain scenes or shots throughout the movie. Do you know what a tilt shift is? Being the yeah, I, I made a note of that. Yeah. Okay, I like how they use that. So a tilt shift was it a tilt tilt shift shot, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's just uh, like a technique that they use with a camera that's like super far away but zoomed in, and mm. so it makes big things look very small and like mm. like dollhouse. Yeah, and I thought that was a good like way to make the real world look like the doll house mm. thing stuff that they were they were making. Yeah, they were like blur out the top and bottom of the frame so the focus is all out of whack. And then, yeah, it makes like cities and things look like toys, which mm. was a really good um, analogy for the exterior of the house being shot like that and then showing like these doll houses on the inside or, you mm. know, the miniatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, d- I did like as well when he was, when Peter was, one of the times when he was in his bed, mm. like in the dark, and he sees... There's two moments. There's one where he see he thinks he sees something. Yeah. But then it just turns out to be like a chair and a jacket. Yeah. It's yeah. like we've all fucking been there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you see something in the corner of the room, but it just turns out to be closed. But yeah. for a split moment, you're like, I'm about to die. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next one, it kind of builds on that of he actually does see Charlie. Oh. But then it cuts and like her head falls off. But then it turns into a basketball that's like bouncing. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was very cool. It, she kind of just like rolls her head forward in the dark and then that ball rolls towards him. That was sick. Yeah. yeah. Nicely done. What about yours? Um, Apart from like the, the dream sequences, I thought were really convincing because there's like, there's some dream sequences in films like, you know, the nightmare films or whatever where... Um, that, whole, that whole movie is based on dream sequences. I, I, yeah, I know. But where like, it's clearly a dream. Mm-hmm. Whereas this film does it where it'd be like minutes into the scene... And then it reveals that it's a dream. Like, I literally had no idea because, like, the amount of weird shit that's happening in the film. So, they were just done really well. But I particularly liked the shot where um, it's kind of like this really nice... It's got, like, associative editing in this film. Like, um, there'll be a scene where 
Um, Peter's kind of like bolt upright in bed at night and then it changes to him in the same position but like in a classroom the next day. Oh yeah, it's like a match cut. Yeah, like an exterior of the house at night and then it changes to day and things like that look really nice. But my favourite one was um, at Charlie's funeral and it shows like Annie on the ground like just howling with grief in the bedroom and then just like cuts to her in the same position doing the same thing at her funeral and as the coffin lowers into the ground mm. so does the camera oh that one and you can yeah. see like the grass and the soil as it's like going That's down such a simple shot but that looked that looked really cool yeah i really liked that um there's also another bit that was like not a dream sequence but it was showing how like detached peter's getting and like how he's starting to hallucinate and and stuff um was when he's in class and in like the top right corner of the frame you can see the rearview mirror of the car Oh, yeah. So it shows he's like fixating on that that night um, when he inadvertently killed Charlie. Yeah, that was a nice touch. Well, I think yeah, because I li- I really like throughout the movie how his inter well not his his representation of grief mm. is like he just completely kind of shuts down. Yeah, which I feel like I've, I haven't experienced any like death in the family or grief or anything like that. But I feel like that's how I'd I'd like react. Mm. Like I don't feel much emotions on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And so if something like that would have happened, I think I'd just completely shut down. Yeah. I feel like there's three ways, like three common ways to go about it is, is where like one is you're, you're just shut down and like, you're just despondent. Mm-hmm. Another one is where you're just overwhelmed with grief and you're just moping all the time and you just can't go about your day. Mm-hmm. Well, they show both of those in the movie. Yeah. But then there's another one where you just kind of like busy about everywhere to keep yourself distracted. So you're not dwelling on it. Okay. Which is probably what I do. <laughs> yeah. So one one's like dwelling on mm. it, like like pretty much, yeah, just crying and being completely um, yeah. like destroyed. Yeah. That's like dealing with it. One's completely ignoring it mm. of like, I don't know, just doing fuck all, just... Yeah, I don't know being numb. Yeah, being numb. And the other's just trying trying to avoid it. Trying to forget about it. All three are unhealthy. Like none of them are part of the healing process. Yeah, what you should really do is just uh, grab a couple of bottles of Jack and just (laughs) lose yourself in the drink. (laughs) Just pop some acid and make some music. Um, (laughs) But in terms of camera techniques, something I noticed that's just in like Arias's repertoire is these long shots in terms of duration and Mm -hmm. not so much tracking either. Just like... There'll be static shots and it'll just be a slow zoom over the course of like three minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Just like things like that are really let you look around and take the scene in, um, really let you focus on what's being said. Things yeah. like that are really nice. I like I like the ones he does in Midsummer a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, because he's more experienced, he's made a whole movie yeah. by then. Yeah. I mean, but also it's just more interesting stuff. Because well, this, this isn't about Midsummer this episode, but mm. I liked that more than this. Yeah. Because of the like the atmosphere of it. Yeah. Whereas fair. Th- this is like very like American family. Mm. Whereas I can't relate to that at all. Not that I can relate to like Swedish, <laughs> you know, whatever. No, you make a good point because in Midsummer, um, it's a good contrast as well with the atmosphere and the setting is because it's like this bright, sunny, like luscious area where all this bad shit's happening. Mm. Um, and there'll be a shot of someone like freaking out because they're trapped by this like, religious cult or whatever and their drinks have been spiked so they're just like crying at the dinner table but all these flowers are like moving in the background because they're like like high and like hallucinating yeah like that's another movie where it's not necessarily like as like a scary movie Mm. it's definitely horror but it is really creepy and effective even in broad daylight yeah whereas this one 
a lot of the movie is like at nighttime or in Fair. the darkness. True. So half time you can't see shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like cheap. Like it's easy to make something scary at nighttime. Yeah. It's pretty hard to make something scary during the day. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Whereas like a, this does it well. Point. It follows, does it well as well. Mm, yeah. And um, something I noticed, um, I don't know if you would have picked up on, was um, Tony Collette is always dressed in white throughout the film, um, which is a common uh, symbol of innocence. Mm-hmm. And I feel like since they even blatantly address it in the dialogue that she constantly feels guilty and blamed that that was a good um that was a good decision okay the costuming decision i like we've said before i'm not really good with color yeah unless it's a black and white movie like (laughs) (laughs) like even though that you know she's apparently come close to killing her children and um she like has had all these awful things happen um that may or may not be her fault directly um she still believes she's innocent Okay, I like that. The only mm. time I noticed she was in a white clothing was when she was painting. I'm like, yeah, that really, was really, dumb. You're going to paint in a white I shirt? That. that is risky. I wondered that. Um, and I really liked uh, the end credits when it kind of takes a letter from each name as it's moving upwards, goes red and drops down to the next name to kind of show like genetic code or something. That's cool. I like that. I yeah. turned the movie off as soon as the credits rolled, but, oh, okay. <laughs> so I didn't see that. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoy that because I thought that was a cool kind of like metaphor for like going down the line of the family. Yeah. I mean, the movie's called Hereditary, so mm. going down, passing down family curse and you yeah. know, you're yeah. doomed. You, a lot of time you're doomed to kind of bear the sins of your father. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your final thoughts on the film? My final thoughts, I, I still liked it, but not as much as I would like to okay like i'm not gonna watch well i might watch it again just to see if i pick up on any more stuff because i feel like it's definitely a watched movie twice i definitely picked up more the second time around yeah like with the knowledge that everything is kind of happening because of the cult yeah i think it'd be interesting to see a lot of the stuff Mm. but i was i was kind of let down Okay. But it's still a very good movie. That's still, fair. Still well made, still, just, still good. Just didn't meet the expectations that Did everyone meet, else set. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's always a problem anytime mm. a movie is regarded Yeah, that's like fair. Yeah. Great. True, true. It's quite slow and uncomfortable in a way because of that. Um, like we said, it seems to be just part of his repertoire. Like Midsummer's a slow burn. We've already addressed that his new one, Bo is Afraid, has a three-hour runtime. Like yep. it just... It really lets you like settle into the the horror of it, mm. which I think um, was really nicely done, and it's just such like such an impressive breakout film and surprisingly original concept. That's that's something I keep forgetting as well. This was his first movie. Yeah, like this for a first for a first movie. This is good. Yeah, compare it to other directors that have made countless mm. movies and they churn out some shit. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I thoroughly enjoy this film and um like I said it's got some of the most intense moments I've ever seen in cinema but uh I guess from your reaction is also not for everyone or it's not not held on the same pedestal for for all people. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're done then. Yeah. Yep, checks out on our socials, Deadhouse Pod, Instagram, Facebook. Yes sir. Those and then any streaming platforms. Yeah. We'll catch you next week. We'll be right back. <laughs>